0: What do you do when, as a GM, you have nothing prepped and you are staring down the barrel of a session? You've had two weeks to prep, but no, you couldn't bring yourself to sit down and make any notes, so now you have nothing. Isn't it just easier to bail out, make your excuses and try again next time? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Today, I want to talk about how to do emergency prep. Those want to attack. Whoa, oh, oh. I want to come back to the dice.
1: Whoa, oh, 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 I think I need some good advice. I need a roleplay rescue. Oh yeah. I need a roleplay rescue. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: One of the biggest recurring problems I face as a gamer and GM is the tendency to procrastinate my prep. It's always been something I struggle with for more than 40 years of gaming and it still afflicts me today. That said, in recent months I have been better able to recognise the problem and begin to come up with some solutions. Today I want to share some of those thoughts. What exactly is the problem? Well, maybe it will help to work backwards from the impact to uncover the issues that lie underneath. Here's the situation. It's game day and you have a session in just a few hours. It's also a busy day, either a work day or there are family commitments that demand some time at home. Either way, you're staring down the barrel of the session and you realise that you have nothing prepped. You can't remember where the session left off, you can't really remember the characters and their goals, and you certainly have very little idea where things are going. In the worst possible version of this situation, last session you were winging it. You turned up, even though you had nothing much prepped, and you just tried to improvise on the fly. But it's a week or two later now, and you've forgotten the imagined cool ideas that you had in your head during the improv session, and now... You have a sense that stuff isn't going to fit together if you improv again. In my experience, it's possible to have two or three or more sessions on the fly, but there inevitably comes a point where you run out of road, you feel empty and lost, and it's a very lonely feeling, being the GM with no clue where things are going traditionally I would start looking for an exit to the game because feeling lost and alone is intolerable because the uncertainty of what to do about it is overwhelming. My typical response would be to simply stop running the game. It's tempting as heck. You can try out some new and exciting game you've been reading or you can jump to some different genre you fancy giving a go and you will justify it to yourself and to your players but as tempting as that feels I know that it's the wrong decision. This feeling is the number one reason why I bail on games I am GMing. It's cost me dozens of campaign ideas. It's driven my players crazy and has even driven players out of the hobby, especially in the pre-pandemic days when gaming online wasn't really possible or common. With the internet online gaming possibilities today, this will cost you your whole table. I think I lost more credibility as a GM through this problem than any other single factor in 40 years of gaming. There has to be a better way. We begin with this. The problem is probably caused by fear. I spoke about the problem of social anxiety in episode 13, Casting dispel Terror. But the far more common problem is generalised anxiety. For me, this manifests as the sense that lots of things are worrying and you don't know what to do about them. With gaming, I am certainly worried about what the players will think, but the story I am telling myself is based around the feelings of fear I have because I am not adequately prepped. In other words, I know that I have bupkiss prepped and so I am predicting the session will be crap and expecting that the players won't like it. Step 1. Recognise the thought distortions built into that story that you are telling yourself. The biggest distortion is the emotional reasoning. You feel bad, so things must actually be bad. I feel anxious, so I must be in danger. Here, the sense that I am not prepped leads to vulnerability and a sense that I am going to make a fool of myself, or, even worse, screw up something in the game. But take a deep breath. Let it out slowly. Just because you feel bad doesn't mean things are bad. Your feelings are a reaction to your thoughts, and your thoughts are automatic brain reflexes. Right now, the automatic brain reflex has noticed you're not prepped. Alongside the emotional thinking, you're probably noticing a whole pile of shoulds and musts. I should be prepped. I must prepare a good game. I should have prepped earlier if you are really struggling, this might also have headed into compare and despair, wherein you compare yourself to other, clearly more masterful GMs, and then despair of your own efforts. That often morphs into critical self-distortions, wherein you put yourself down and pick up the blame for not prepping. Sure, you didn't prep. Yet. But there is still time. What causes me to procrastinate is how all of these various thought distortions send me into my favourite thought distortion. catastrophizing. Anxiety is like a runaway elevator wherein I can go from Hey, I have a game tonight and I haven't got around to prepping to Oh my god, the guys are going to hate the game, hate me, abandon me and I'll never be able to run or play a game ever again to the non-anxious that might sound pretty silly. With that fear comes a strong sense of rejection and, well, fear. And on occasions it has even seemed preferable not to be here than to face the imagined social catastrophe of being shamed in front of one's friends. So here we are. We've not done anything. Yet. We have a game in a few hours. We need to prep. To get moving, we need a process. It's time. To take action. Anxious people don't take action. That's the basic truth of anxiety. You become wrapped up in worry, which is exhausting and self feeding, and you never quite get around to doing anything to fix the problem you believe you have. Anxiety is focused on either the past, what went wrong, or the future. What might go wrong if? You have to come back to the present moment. You need to be here, now. And the best ways I know of to do that involve two steps. First, immediately ground yourself in the present moment. Then, strengthen your focus by focusing on only one thing at a time. To ground yourself focus on your core senses. I put my hands on the cold surface of the desk in front of me and I feel the coolness. Sometimes I pop a small piece of chocolate in my mouth and let it slowly melt, allowing myself to be grounded by the flavour. Imagining oneself as a microphone head, yes I really do imagine my head as one of those bulbous microphones with a wind muffler thingy on top, and then just list what you can hear. Don't forget to notice the voice in your head, but listen to what you hear. What grounding does is bring you back to now. I like to meditate but that's not easy and certainly not something you can do just off the cuff but if you do have some experience with it a couple of minutes of meditation will bring you back to the moment. And then you need to make a list of things to do or if it's helpful you can use mine. The basic idea is that you are going to build an emergency session prep process. And then you're going to execute that process. Here goes. Review the characters. Write down their names. This one's cribbed from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master by Michael Shea, aka Sly Furish. Quote, There's a simple test every GM can conduct to see if we really are keeping the characters firmly in mind. Can we remember each of their names? Usually, a name is enough to remind you about the rest of the character when you call it up. If you don't remember the characters' names instinctively, spend some time doing so, and you'll find that remembering their backgrounds and motivations easily follows. Write down the names of the characters, and if you can't do it off the top of your head, make a list of the players' names and then try again. If you still can't remember the character's name, and that's quite likely when you are stressed, write down anything else you can remember in my Northern Isles game, there are three players. Derek plays Sylvanus, Bob plays Ocean, Evil Jeff plays Kellen. Great! Sylvanus is a minstrel who has recently lost his master and adopted father to a barbarian who murdered him. Ocean is the huntsman's son and trying to make a name for himself in the local community, and he also has two bloodhounds. Kellen is an auxiliary soldier who is trying to prove herself as capable as a soldier as any of the other men. And that's what I remember off the top of my head. And sitting here recording this just prior to another session, I remember that last session a great worm, some might call it a dragon, had flown down from the northwest and torched North Point. Yes, it destroyed the fortress town. The heroes had returned to find it still burning and most people dead or missing. That evening, as they gathered some survivors they had located in the cellars of the town and headed southwest towards the next nearest settlement, the party had been accosted by bandits. At the end of the session, two of the three bandits had been cut down by the heroes and the leader was being held at Blade Point. Yes, I remember now. We had ended on a cliffhanger and I had no idea where to take things from there. All of that from write down the names of the characters. Mike Shay's next bit of advice is also a good one. Create a strong start. Quote, With the characters firmly in mind, we can now look at the most important question for preparing our next game session. How will it begin? This is the only point in the game where a game master has nearly complete control. No one has acted yet. No character has cut the throat of the primary quest-giving NPC. To understand where your game starts, you need only to write down a single sentence that clarifies how your session will begin. That said, specific is better than generality." Let's get to the specifics. Ask three questions. What's happening? What's the point? Where's the action? Let's pick up my example from the Northern Isles. What's happening? A dragon has just torched North Point destroying the Empire's most northerly outpost. Yeah, heroes are now homeless. They believe everyone they ever cared about is dead. And to make it worse, they are being attacked by barbarian raiders. Right now, they have the chief of those raiders on his knees in front of them. Sylvanus knows who this is too. It's the man who killed his father. Come on, tell me that doesn't have some dramatic tension. What's the point? Well, what are the heroes to do? We need to give them a reason to act. The idea that pops into my mind is a simple one. The barbarian chief has survivors from North Point as prisoners. If you kill me now, you'll never see your mothers and children again, he says. My hope, at the very least, is that this will buy us time to have an interaction with the villain. At best, he can persuade them to let him go in return for release of the North Point prisoners. Where's the action? The players now have a clear choice. Kill the barbarian chief and risk the deaths of their loved ones or try and find out more. Maybe even persuade him to trade his life for theirs. Worst case, what you can do if nothing else comes to mind. You can start a fight. Set up a combat and let it ride. A good fight is a great way to start a session and it'll open up questions to follow on later. Next step. Write down a short list of possible scenes that might occur in your game. Again, this one's from Mike Shea, quote, Like many of the techniques of the lazy dungeon master, outlining potential scenes serves multiple purposes. First, and most obviously, it helps you think about what might happen during the game. Even more importantly, it makes you feel confident that you have a handle on your game. You feel ready to play, and that's often all you need to be ready, end quote. In my session, I can imagine two immediate outcomes of the barbarian's words. The heroes talk to him, or they kill him nonetheless. So my first scene is interrogating the chief. From there, I write down return to the bandit hold. I can see that they might convince him to take them to the prisoners. Here, I reckon it'll be cool to have a few NPCs from the character's backstory still alive and relieved to see them. So that's a scene, reunion with family. The next morning, I think it'll be cool if the dragon returns and attacks another Imperial settlement. Red flames on the horizon. Doing a deal with the bandits, maybe the bandits ask the heroes to help figure out what's going on. Heading back to North Point is possible. The main thrust of the game so far has been the party trying to figure out why North Point was attacked and raided. As it's now been torched, they might be tempted to go and find out even more. Maybe they will return to tracking the Bone Raiders, or maybe they will head towards another Imperial settlement. They were heading for Silver Point, and there's also another settlement more southward. Even if Silver Point is on fire, they might be tempted to investigate. It doesn't take long to imagine a few possible scenes. The main thing to remember is that you don't need much to be prepped. You are going to improvise at the table anyway, so this way you have something to improvise from, but you don't need to detail everything. That way lies a path of over-prepping just before a last-minute session that's guaranteed to waste your time. Next step. Define secrets and clues. It's the best bit of advice in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Quote, secrets and clues are the anchors of our games. They're a simple way to build out an adventure, create meaning and story for the players and connect people, places and things. Secrets and clues are the connective tissue of an adventure and, more often than not, a whole campaign. They also conveniently fit on one side of a 3x5 index card. I've been talking about the 3 clue rule ever since I first read about it on the Alexandrians blog. For every conclusion you want the players to come to, design 3 clues. I'm not going to share the clues I came up with for my Northern Isles session, but what I will do is ask some questions that I imagine the players might want answers to. Are there really survivors from the dragon attack? And does this barbarian really have them? What clues can I offer them to help verify this claim? Who are the bone-armoured raiders and why are they attacking the Empire? Why has a dragon attacked North Point and other Imperial settlements? And is the dragon attack connected to the bone-armoured raiders? For those, deciding on the secrets behind them is easy to do. Quote, A secret or clue is a single sentence that encapsulates a piece of your game world, its history or the current story. It's a piece of information that characters can discover as they explore the world and interact with its inhabitants. But secrets and clues are never trivial. They contain information that matters to the characters. End quote. What I like to do is ask questions and come up with some possible answers. I cherry-pick the answers I like best. I write those down as my secrets, the information the players might be able to piece together from the clues. And then I invoke the three-clue rule, making up three clues for each of the secrets. That gives me a nice list of clues. The goal is to share the clues, not the secrets themselves, and let the players work out what each clue tells them about the world. Whenever you can, drop the clues into the scenes as they arise in the session. Don't plan it out beforehand. Don't bind yourself to if, then thinking, you know, if they ask the bandit this, then they will find out that. No, no. Improvise the discovery of each clue while you run your game. From here, you have the basics for a session. While I think that Mike Shea's remaining steps are great, namely to develop fantastic locations, outline important NPCs, choose relevant monsters and select magic item rewards, I do believe his advice to reduce the steps down to just three is sound. And the only other thing you want to do now is imagine one or two of the most likely locations and develop some cool imagery for them. In my case, in the Northern Isles, I really need a clear mental image of the bandits' lair. This might not come up so I don't need a whole map and detailed notes but a cool clear mental picture is a great place to begin and now I'm ready to roll for tonight's session but what about the next session this is where I think Mike Shay's advice runs out of steam The biggest problem with the lazy dungeon master's approach, other than being geared specifically to running games of Dungeons & Dragons, is that it doesn't help the anxious gamer. Running from session to session on a checklist of 8 items sounds great when you read the book, but the problem is that with anxiety, the improvisational nature of the approach can be overwhelming. In simple terms, there is too much uncertainty. It's possible to steal oneself up, prep for tonight's session, and then get yourself back to the table. But we still have the larger problem I outlined earlier. You have a tendency to procrastinate. How to overcome this? That's not easy, but let's begin here. Learn how to break your actions into smaller steps. In his book, Tiny Habits, BJ Fogg outlines an approach to handling our lives built around the science of behaviour. The basis of his thesis is the Fogg behaviour model, which predicts that a behaviour happens when motivation and ability and prompt converge at the same moment. If your desired behaviour is to prep your sessions ahead of the day of the game, then you need three things. Sufficient motivation, the ability to do it, and a prompt. Fogg's thesis, however, tells us that you cannot rely on motivation. The problem here is that we can get some pretty conflicting motivators pulling us in multiple directions. Relying on motivation to get me to prep and run a game for my friends is a fickle beast. Fogg's answer is to focus not on motivation, but on making the action you are trying to take small enough that you don't need to have much motivation at all. On top of that, by cunningly linking that small action to something you already do every day, you can build tiny habits that build up your ability to act over time. So the answer is to come back to the process. Then you need to make the steps you want to make in the process as small as possible. Finally, you want to link them to a prompt. I'm going to unpack how best to build this process, break down the prep steps into smaller pieces and link them to suitable prompts in a future episode. But for now, I'm just going to suggest this. Book 30 minutes in your diary between this emergency session prep and the next session. Put it in your phone calendar and make your phone ping when that time comes around. Two tips. First, to combat mental fatigue, pick a time when you know you will be fresh. I'm an early bird, so my best times are mornings and when I don't have to work, so that means a weekend. I'm booking my prep slot for next Saturday morning. I'm setting up for early, before my wife gets up, so that I stand a chance of actually doing it. And I'm setting myself an alarm. This is the all-important behaviour prompt. Otherwise, I'm going to forget. Second tip, make the action a tiny step, something you feel is easy. Mine is to write down the names of the player characters on a piece of paper. The goal is to kickstart the prep process. The first step of my prep process is to write down the characters' names. I know this will trigger all sorts of memories and ideas from the last session, and I'll probably jot those down too. That's all good, but the first step is to write down the names, and I'm allowed to just do that. Then I'm done. Trust me, it'll be more significant than you think. Perhaps we can talk about why in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you again next time.
1: Hey, Che, that's so cool that you worked on Inquisitor. I feel like I had the book somewhere, but I cannot find it in my collection, but I know I have more or less the full collection of dark heresy, which seemed to be like, um, descendant of Inquisitor. So dark heresy, you know, the, in the Warhammer 40 K verse playing, an inquisitorial team or not that. Well, in the later books, you could actually become an inquisitor, but uh, we had a lot of fun playing that game, got to Ascension level with a couple of the characters, which is crazy rocket tag type scenarios, much like Death Watch kind of is. So, But I, I agree, and, and my best role-playing experiences and the players I had the most was um, oddly role-playing um in the 40k verse especially as space marines interestingly enough
0: so great call in there from carl i've cut it down actually he sent me three but that's just the first part and it's the most important part i'm glad that you enjoyed the episode talking about inquisitor running and gunning and all of that stuff and yeah you did a little thing and the later in his call in carl mentioned wrath and glory which is the 2020 publication by cubicle 7 of a sort of Warhammer 40,000 000 role play and that triggered a whole set of thoughts in my mind i went off and investigated and i've actually grabbed a copy because yeah i really enjoyed the 40k universe too and so I just want to say thank you for that, Carl, because it was great to sort of trigger me into like that action and finding out a bit more. And, you know, when I was thinking about running and gunning, what I didn't have in that moment is a really clear idea what I wanted to play. And I'm just kind of thinking maybe Imperial Guardsmen or Space Marines up against Orkies and Eldar. Yeah, that'll be fun. So thanks for the call, man. Game on.
1: Hey, Jason here. Just want to say really enjoyed Roleplay Rescue 10.14. I'm looking forward to the system you put together. I'm very curious to see what different things you you grab and put together for your ideal system that, that you're going to be comfortable with to run games with in the future. So very cool. It's an exciting journey, and I'm happy you're sharing the journey with us. Take care, my friend.
0: and that's it for this week big thank you once again for showing up and listening thanks also to our callers today you know i love questions and comments so if you've got one please feel free to call in via speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue you'll find you can just click on the message button and speak for one and a half minutes if you're on your phone hop onto the show notes because you'll be able to find a direct link there thanks also to all the roleplay rescue patrons who support the show without that support i'm pretty sure i couldn't keep going thank you my name is che webster this is roleplay rescue see you again next time game on